Hello, welcome to Giant Size Man Things. I'm Aaron Kelly. I am Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Rouse, and we are missing Steve. Steve is MIA. We don't know what's happened to Steve. If anyone sees a lost Steve, please return him to the Giant Size Man Things. Uh, that is actually a lie. We know where Steve is. Steve is unconscious because Steve stayed up all night last night watching Daredevil all, all day today. Yeah, we uh, after working last night all night. We uh we had pushed this episode because Jimmy and I had some things to do this evening, so we pushed this to start recording. We had planned to meet at four, and it is now five forty-five. We waited almost two hours on Steve, and he is no response. You know, he's not answering phone calls or text messages or whatever. So. uh Daredevil must have been worth it. Okay. That's well, all I'm going to so. say. I'll, well, I mean, you know, I'm going to talk about Daredevil a little bit later. I've only watched the first two, ep- well, the first episode and a half. I'm not going to lie. I fell asleep, too. Not because the show is boring. The show is, in fact, not boring. Uh, because I was tired. Uh. Yeah, I had said uh, last week when we did last week's episode that I was like, oh, I'll probably have Daredevil finished by the time we start, you know, by the time we do next week's episode. Well, we had a huge storm that came through this area Tuesday, and I don't. I was at work. I don't know what what particularly got hit, but something something in my house got hit by lightning, and it blew up every single thing. Like it blew up my cable box, my TV, my internet modem. It blew up my Xbox One. Like everything I had got fried. So uh, I haven't even started Daredevil or anything else this week. Um, oh man! But uh, <laughs> luckily, everything was like under warranty, and like the cable box and stuff. They're like, this happens, so they, they they just replace it, and everything's getting replaced. But I'm still about a week out on a TV, so that sucks, man. But all new all, all new tech stuff for you, sweet action. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm glad your house didn't burn down. I'm glad yep. your dogs, you know. Yeah, didn't turn into the Flash or anything. Yeah, at least as far as we know. Oh yeah, I mean as far you know everything is uh, good. I mean it flipped like half of my breakers. Breakers. Wow. And uh, <laughs> I I noticed that I didn't have some lights before I even noticed you know that my TV is messed up because I don't just come home and instantly turn on my TV or whatever. But there was like a piece of plastic laying on my floor and I could not figure it out. I was like, where the hell did this black piece of plastic come from? It, it was a piece of my cable box that had blown up. So, so when you say your cable box blew up, it you're literally, not bullshitting. No, like it your literally. cable box detonated. Yeah, it pretty much blew up. Holy fuck. And uh, <laughs> they came out pretty quick. Like, 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 I think they came out in like two days to replace the, the cable box and the internet modem. So I at least have internet and stuff now. But I still don't have a TV, which I can do without TV. You know, I don't, like, I, there was like... 20 comics to read and you know i can spend time catching up on some reading and some other things so sometimes it's cool to not turn on a tv but agreed agreed i'll i'll watch i usually watch tv after i get all get home at night yeah you know, i work i work late anyway so there's you know you and i live with dad so it's just me and dad there and he's asleep uh <laughs> so you know at least i get to watch tv uh, you don't think Steve got struck by lightning? I don't know, man. Steve got struck by lightning and turned into the Flash. He might have that fucker. He probably just well, he was on his way over here and stepped out the door and ended up in fucking China or something. He can't find his way back. I will say my uh, my TV did go out with a bang because uh, the last thing I watched was the finale of Better Call Saul. Ah, and then, how was that? Oh man, it, it, it you know it was so good and. Uh, Obviously, you know, it was already announced there's going to be a second season, but I, I think they'll do more than another season. And there was a lot of little Easter eggs, and there was, like, like from this moment on, you know that Jimmy McGill is probably officially going to be Saul Goodman here, probably the very start of season two. Just the way it ended, you know, he's about to be crooked as all hell, so... Uh, he's, about, he's about to become the Saul, the Saul we this, know and love? Yes. Or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, he's he is finally finally I, to that point. I can't wait to watch the rest of that show, man. Such a such a good such a good opening, but I haven't had a chance to watch it since then. Yep. Uh, let's see what else we have to talk about. Uh, Star Wars Disney announced this week, or well, Disney released this week Star Wars uh, on I guess digital format. Yeah. I, I, I assume that's a stream to watch or download. I'm sure it's on iTunes and yeah, and whatever. yeah, uh, Google Play Store, all of that. Uh, what I have not been able to ascertain, uh, some people, like I talked with Matt Johnson about this online the other day, some people are thinking that it's the unaltered, yeah, yeah. The, the unaltered theatrical cuts, at least on the ori- you know the original three movies. 
but I'm not. I'm not sure and I, until I know that I'm not buying them. The <laughs> the only thing people are claiming that which I, I've seen a few people say that apparently Han does shoot first, so they they did take that out. And I don't think I think I'm correct on this. It like the only way physically, other than maybe this, if this is correct, to, to get the theatrical release of the original trilogy was like Laserdisc. Right? Even when they came out on VHS, wasn't stuff altered? Even when it came out on VHS. No, uh, no, because, okay. no, I mean, I've, I've got the original VHS tapes, like the slide-out drawers and crap like that from the 80s. So uh, the DVD was when they started altering stuff, yeah, I think, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the the DVD releases were the first things that were altered, as far as I know. Um, and then, you know, you've got the special edition. The Blu-ray release has all of the oh, special yeah. edition footage. <laughs> there was even a lot more added in that. Though. Well, but see, it, the, that, that was the thing, though, is like I was talking about this last night, it's like, that there's other there's other new footage in the, in the Blu-ray release of the of the of the all six movies, but it's not special edition footage. It's unused original footage from the original films. Like this, there's a scene at the beginning of Return of the Jedi where Luke goes back to Obi Wan's hut on Tatooine and builds the green lightsaber, and it's original footage. Hmm. Like it's not something that they made up and then it's like just slid in there. It was it was unused footage from the original recordings of the movies. So those are cool. Yeah. You know, I wish that it was that and not the special edition stuff. Cause I, I the special edition crap was it was all right. It was cool to go see the, the, the you know the original films in the theater again, mm-hmm. but. I kind of want to see the one that I saw when I was a kid. And, you know, I guess it's just because we're in a digital age, but I don't see why they didn't. Because, you know, they, re, they, re, re, they, re, they remastered everything in HD, I guess, which most of it already was for the Blu-ray release. I just don't see why they just didn't re-release the Blu-ray, which maybe if this is the unaltered stuff, maybe that's coming. I hope um, so. That's, yeah, I mean, because everyone in the world wants that. That's what people want. They want the original on Blu-ray, unaltered. Yeah. I, don't, uh, I don't. I don't even mind the fact that it's been remastered. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Because it's weird if you go back and watch those old VHS tapes and stuff like that. Now, especially on a new television, you can see weird little cubes around the Tie Fighters when they're flying. So you know the the, the pictures are so good on television now that the old special effects don't look right anymore. Yeah. So they needed to be remastered. I just want to see a remastered version of the theatrical cut of the movie. For for just just for nostalgia purposes, yeah. you know, this is I want to see it as I saw it in the theater as a child. Yes, I'm that old. Also, if any of you see Steve, please tell him to come to Aaron's house. <laughs> Maybe by next week he'll get here. <laughs> so, yeah, Star Wars. <laughs> uh, let's see. We talked about your Thunderbolt uh, Spider Man announcement. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Uh... We've mentioned that it's getting rebooted again, and there was a, something that I know Jimmy and I were afraid of. We didn't want we didn't want to see a damn origin story. You don't need Spider Man's origin. Everyone is aware, uh, unless you've lived under a rock for the last seventy five years. Uh, we all know Spider Man got bit by a, a spider and blah blah blah. So they said this reboot is not gonna the origin's not gonna be in it. It's gonna focus on Peter Parker in high school. Uh, which really hasn't really been. I mean, there really hasn't been a solid movie, I guess, about that time frame. I mean, some of it was, I guess, uh, which I guess the new one was, was it with the lizard? But uh, yeah, but uh, I mean, it, it doesn't. It doesn't focus on the fi- the high school aspect. Yeah. Of, like you don't see so much of Peter Parker as Peter Parker. Yeah, you know, and I think that the, the they've been a little bit lacking because of that. Because I mean, that was that was the whole point of the book when Stanley. Created it back in you know back in the sixties. It was it was a book about teen angst. Like oh, this kid's got all all the same problems you do, and he's a superhero. Yeah. And can't let anybody find out about it. And all the villains. I mean, you know, obviously. I mean, you know, there really wasn't. I mean, with him as Peter Parker, you know, the villains probably you know they're not right in the movies. Partake, you know, they just kind of threw in like the Goblin here and Lizard here. And yeah. So. They have a chance to do everything right. I don't think Peter Parker has been casted yet. If he has, I haven't. No, but I, I think it is good that they they've confirmed that it is going to be Peter Parker, not Miles Morales. Yeah. Uh, the and of course the rumor mill has run amok now because uh, I guess the Miles Morales people are pissed pissed off, and so now they're saying that there's a possibility that uh, uh, or no, what was it? How was it put? Uh, they didn't say Peter Parker was wasn't going to be a black kid, and I was like. What whatever, 
<laughs> you know, who cares at this point? I'm tired. I, you know, I'm just just tell the damn story. Spider Marvel's getting Spider Man back. That's all I care about. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and you're right about the. You know, you're right about the origin story. Hell with that. You know, everybody knows that. It's like who doesn't know Superman's origin? Yeah. Right. Or Batman. Or, Batman. or you know. Or anybody. I mean, you know that that there's been one movie made about because they typically that's the first thing they always tackle is the origin. You know, like well, Iron yeah. Man. You know, I mean, you know, you don't need another origin story of a lot of no, these people. Not but. at all. And that's the thing. It's like you know, if you if you see a superhero movie coming out, you don't know anything about the character. Get on friggin' Wikipedia. Yeah. There's a Wikipedia for everything. Trust me, I'm going to reference it later. Um, you know, that is just. Yeah, cool. I'm, gra- I'm glad it's. I'm glad it's happening. I'm glad it's happening. Yeah. And and the, even more than I'm glad that that, it, that that Marvel's got it back. I'm glad that they're going to be able to use him in other movies. I'm not. I don't really care that much even about this movie, the Civil War movie. For them to do Civil War, right, you can't not have Spider Man. You know, there's the, the stuff that happened with Spider Man in Civil War that was monstrously important to the character. And how are you going to even work that aspect of it? You know, without the, without having the rights to the character, so that I'm excited about more than anything. I I think the biggest thing I'm bummed about this remake was uh, the last Spider-Man movie set up the entire Sinister Six movie. So I would say that is it may not be scrapped, but for the most part, I would say I mean that 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 movie at least would have to be pushed back. I'm cu- uh, I'm curious about that though because there's there's some there's some aspects of this business deal that yeah. went down here that are that are odd to me because they didn't. They didn't just give Spider-Man back and be like, okay, you can have it. Yeah. It's a co-partnership between Disney and Sony, technically. You know, the, you know. The, I guess Disney's getting Spider-Man back for whatever they want, but I'm wondering if Sony's going to get the villain movies that they were wanting to I don't do. Know. You know, I really don't know. A lot of that has been kept pretty hush-hush. But I think for the most part, people just want a Spider-Man movie. It seems like that's all. Because, you know, they can just give the public, like... You know, here's what's going to happen, and it kind of hushes people up for a bit. So yeah, and you know, I mean, the, I don't, I didn't necessarily have a problem with with the Andrew Garfield Spider Man movies. No, thought they were worth watching. I actually watched the second one the other night. Yeah. Uh, thought I thought that the, uh, Andrew Garfield actually did an excellent job playing Spider Man because he really got the smack talk while yeah. he's fighting down, and that was something that the Tobey Maguire movies failed on. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, and I, th- and, you know, I thought I actually thought what they did with the Electro in the second movie was awesome. Mm-hmm. Like that is how Electro should be. Yeah. You know, it's like he was worthless for all those years in the comics wearing a green and yellow suit. Dude can throw lightning bolts, but otherwise is useless. Yeah. You know, even at that. So, but may- it made him a much more viable villain. I thought. Oh yeah, when he wipes out like all of Times Square, I mean, yeah. stuff like that is. I mean, that's great. I mean, that's that's what you want. That's, that's a super villain. Yeah, you know, su- that that's a super villain doing super villain shit, which we talked about plenty of times. So, Let's see. you uh, got what else you I got think? something on the Dark Tower. I do, I do. Uh, Sony actually uh, is in talks. I'm not clear yet because I'm getting alt- uh, alternating viewpoints on this. Uh, Stephen King's Dark Tower series may or may not be occurring as a series of films, but there are definitely talks going on that may lead to that. That is confirmed. Whether or not they've signed a deal remains to be seen. So I'm pretty excited about that. I think that's a great series of. I think that's a great series of novels, and I'm not the only one. You know, I mean, there's a million people out there that are Stephen King fans, but. For those of you who don't know, the Dark Tower series kind of ties almost all of Stephen King's novels together. It's like there's, there's, they make re- he, they, you know, he makes reference in the <coughs> Dark Tower series to all these characters from other books that he's written. You know, uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, a central, a central point to all of his little universe I, that he's written in some of his novels. It's about a roll on the gunslinger. Roll on the gunslinger. Roll on the gunslinger. Roll on the chain of Gilead. And uh, I, that that is a great, great literary character, if ever there was one. Uh, and uh, one other thing that we've got to talk about is uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones. Uh, probably by the time you hear this episode, season five would have already premiered. Um, but the first four episodes were actually leaked on Saturday, 
so millions of people have already seen like the first four episodes to the point where HBO, I guess there's nothing they can do about it because I mean, you know, you can't stop the pirates, you know, it's it's all over torrent sites, it's all over streaming sites. And I, well, I, I was reading just a few minutes before we started recording. Uh, you know, somebody said that the that it's it's kind of looking like uh, HBO may start doing the, the the root of Netflix because of this because you know just, they start they just started their streaming service yeah. too. So yeah, and 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 Game of Thrones has been the most pirated show for the last few years. I mean, it's of course out of every show. Uh, you know, that may be smart because I think I mean I think they're well aware. That, you know, you have people that pay for HBO, but you have millions that are just going to pirate it anyway so it may be smart well, for them just to do their streaming service and just drop an entire season you know because i think people's going to get it yeah regardless but yeah i it, it does kind of shock me that 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 many episodes uh, you know that that many episodes ahead have have leaked uh you know i mean you know once they air it there's no way to control it it's out it went out over the airways anybody can record it any way they want to digitize it and then give it to somebody else but you know, when we're talking mm-hmm. four entire episodes before the before the show premieres, yeah, and, nah, somebody screwed up. And you know, four is like you know that's like an odd number. And I, I was trying to think why four, like why not one, why not five? And I was thinking maybe four is all that has been edited and officially done. I mean, awesome. you know, maybe they're because that would get you a month, yeah, ahead. Awesome. So I mean, uh, you know, maybe as they edit five and six, those will be leaked, or who knows? I mean, who who knows why it stopped at four? Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm excited about it, I, you know. And and uh, if Steve doesn't show up next week, we're gonna have a very special guest star on the show. Uh, Hodor will be joining us. <laughs> uh, and you know, even if Steve does show up next week, we're still gonna have Hodor on the show. I'll go ahead and tell you now. Just be ready. We're gonna be talkative, <laughs> even if it's just one word. It's yeah. just Hodor. Yeah. Well, you know, it's all in how you use that one word, man. Yeah. We should have him <laughs> and Groot. They should have a conversation together. Oh my God. <laughs> Talk about an episode. Oh, man. All right, so earlier this week in the comic book world, there was there was some more hubbub involving indirectly the Minara Spider-Woman cover. Frank Cho uh, apparently posted a sketch cover that he had either done for someone at a show or done for himself for his own entertainment purposes. This is, a, it is important to mention that this is not a production cover. Yep. It's a one-off. Granted, because of what ultimately happened, just like what happened with the Batgirl cover and the original Spider-Woman cover, it's immortal. It took me three seconds to find it once I read the first article. It took me exactly as long as it took to open up Google and type in Frank uh, Frank Cho Spider-Gwen. Now, what Frank Cho did was take the Spider-Gwen character from Marvel that is so popular right now and draw her in the Spider-Woman pose. And apparently, Robbie Rodriguez who is the artist on Spider-Gwen, lost his mind. What what gets me is he is his big claim that he co-created this character when he did not. Absolutely I mean, not. I, <laughs> I mean, he did not. I was all over that. Now, you know, I mean, I'm sure if, if Steve had come tonight, we probably would have ended yeah. up in an argument over this, but... Absolutely in no way did Robbie Rodriguez create anything involving Gwen Stacy except that damn costume. It's a cool costume, don't get me wrong, but he didn't create anything here. All he did was draw a costume. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Now, what 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 was said was uh, basically on Twitter, he said, it's all the Frank Cho cover. Be glad you're not in the same room with me right now, buddy. That's one of my kids that you're messing with, and I'm not happy about it. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we thought Steve showed up for a minute. <laughs> but yeah, I don't... Uh, and it's one of those things is like, I don't... You know, we just went through this, what, like four months ago? No, it's not even been that long. With the Spider-Woman, it's not been that long. No. It's it's one of those things that it's like, I saw it and I was like, oh my God. Like, people, <laughs> people are going over the exact same stupid stuff again. And uh, it's really no... I don't get why people are getting tore up. Uh... It's just a drawing. Yeah. <laughs> and people don't raise hell over the shirtless If I sound weird shirtless right man. Now, it's because I'm walking around the room. You know, there's like, you know, there's like shirtless men. Like, they just had that Magic Mike cover. Not yeah. one word about that. Right. And this isn't even, I mean, this is a fully clothed character that is just in like a 
prancing stance, I guess is the way to describe it. I'm sure people have seen it. And I don't get what the hell the fuss is about. So, uh, Steve may have had a lot to prepare to say, but I don't, I mean, I don't know what else to say other well, than I don't, I, I don't, I don't see know, why. I, mean, I give credit where credit's due. You know, I don't work in the comic book field, but now there have been a lot of, there have been a lot of artists this week since that crap started that have come out and said, what in the hell is Robbie Rodriguez talking about? You know? So now there's tons of people doing it. You know, all kinds of people are drawing spoof covers involving Spider-Gwen. Ashley Witter that did oh, Warriors. Yeah. She did one, one of the best ones. Dropped one, which was Gwen Stacy in a tank top and panties uh, <clears throat> riding a wrecking ball across the cover. And she dropped it in both color and black and white format. And I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. And you if know? you had, didn't catch Jimmy's reference, it's a reference to the Miley Cyrus Wrecking yes. Ball music video. I loved it, and I was like, "Oh man, this is so great!" Yeah, uh, I was like, <laughs> "I was like, this is fantastic," you know. I was like, "But the thing is, like, you know, Rob Liefeld come out in defense of Frank Cho, and I can't believe that I'm about to agree with Rob Liefeld. You know, he 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 was right about about you know his viewpoints on the video that he put up on the internet. And so I guess you know hell has frozen over today. Rob Liefeld did something that I approve of. I, Robbie Rodriguez is full of shit, and and on top of that, I went through some of his uh, I went through some of his sketches the other night. You know, I spent a couple hours just looking at Robbie Rodriguez art. I went through his uh, Deviant Art page. I went through uh, he has a, he has an online comic that he does, but he's all, got all kinds of sketch pages and stuff up with that and samples of art. Robbie Rodriguez ain't afraid to draw a naked girl. Or a suggestively naked girl, or a girl in a, a, a sexualized pose, you know. So hypocrite. Yeah. You know, and, it's not okay for Frank Cho, Frank Cho to do it, but it's okay for him to do it. And you know the the writer on Spider Gwen, uh, Jason Latour, who does the art for uh, Southern Bastards, he hasn't said one word. You know why? Because he probably doesn't care about this. No, he, he's probably like, stupid. this is the stupidest thing. It's stupid. And, I think I think all it is 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 typical hot buttoning. You know. <laughs> I mean, if you could if you could do something to get your name out there and get it trending oh, yeah. on Twitter, it's like, oh look how popular I am. No, not necessarily. It just There's makes you sound like an ass, stuff. man. Yeah, and that that was my opinion of what happened with that. Now, I'm going to talk about for a few minutes here. I've got a few. We're gonna, I'm going to talk a lot for a few minutes, and it might turn into a drone. But please bear with me. Uh, what I think that the actual issue is here with the people complaining about this stuff, and you know, because you know, if you went back and read the. The, the release, he said, you know, I go to all these shows and I keep hearing people talking about, well, this is my, my you know, this is my daughter's first comic or my wife's first comic or my, my girlfriend's first comic. Great. You know? But not that one because it was a friggin' one-off piece of art that doesn't exist. It probably only exists in a digital format. If I had to guess, Cho's a great artist. Cho is also a satirist. So, it is his job to do things that piss people off. Congratulations, you're the guy who pissed off that day. You know, he makes fun of stupid stuff and the, cra- and the, the idiot, idiotic crap that people do. That is his job. He does his own book, which technically isn't a, a comic book in the way that we know. Liberty Meadows, if you pull back issues of it, or even current issues of it in the rare occasion that one comes out, it reprints comic strips that he do, that, that Cho does. And, you know, there's varying content to those. He, you know, he makes his living selling good girl art, pinups, stuff like that, at shows. No reason for him to not be able to do that, and all comic book artists ultimately end up doing that to make ends meet at some point because you're not always going to have a job, Robbie Rodriguez. Sometime, at some point in the future, and don't get me wrong, I actually did not, was not even aware that I've collected a book that Robbie Rodriguez did the art on for a while because he worked on BPRD, Hellboy, okay. the Magnoliaverse stuff, off and on. So, you know, I, but that's the thing. It's like a lot of that art looks a lot, looks very similar. You know, it's like, it's, it's important to Mike Magnola that all of his stuff looks the way that the book feels. So he picks artists that, that work in that kind of format, you know, or in, the, in that kind of style. So it's and it's a thematic element. It's smart. It's smart storytelling, you know. But uh, I think that the bigger issue here is that there's there's been some stuff that's been forgotten. That that you know, especially 
much older collectors than you than than are what what I guess what would be the current average age of comic book collectors if you look at the amount of time they've been collecting right now. The average is way low because there's so many new people doing it, but older collectors, people that have been collecting for 15, 20, 25 years, 30 years, they're going to remember this thing called the Comics Code Authority, right? Now let me tell you about the, I'm going to read you the history of the Comics Code Authority a little bit. I got all of this off the Wikipedia, which I talked about earlier, you know. So the Comics Code Authority was formed in 1954 by the Comics Magazine Association of America as an alternative to government regulation. To allow the comic publishers to self-regulate the content of comic books in the United States, this code, commonly, uh, commonly called the Comics Code, lasted until the early 21st century. Many have linked the CCA's formation with a series of Senate hearings and the publication of, of psychologist Frederick Wortham's book, Seduction of the Innocent. We're going to go back to that asshole in a minute uh, after I get through reading the rest of this. Uh, the Comics Magazine Association of America was formed in September of 1954 in response to widespread public concern over gory and horrific comic book content. It named New York Magistrate Charles F. Murphy, a specialist in juvenile delinquency, to the head of the organization and to devise a, <clears throat> and devise a self-policing uh, code of ethics and standards for the industry. He established the Comics Code Authority, the CCA, uh, basing its code uh, upon the largely unenforced code drafted by the Association of Comic Mag uh, Comics Magazine Publishers in 1948, which had in turn been, uh, which had in turn been mo uh, modeled loosely after the uh, the 1930 Hollywood Production Code. This code bans graphic depictions of violence and gore in crime and horror comics, as well as sexual innuendo of what officials refer to as good girl art, going back to Frank Cho. Uh, Frederick Wortham's book in 1954, Seduction of the Innocent, has had rallied opposition of this type, or opposition to this type of material in the comics, arguing that it's harmful to children who <coughs> harmful to children who made up a large segment of the comic book audience, which was not true. At that point, lots of people were reading comics because they were cheap, and it was it was cheap, easy entertainment for a little while. You could buy it. Roll it up, stick it in your back pocket, take it with you on the train, read it at work, whatever. Yeah, I think this is back when they were, what, 10 cents, 12 cents? Well, yeah, we're yeah. talking about 10 cent yeah. books. 10 cent books. I mean, it's, it's and, and that's the thing. It's like, it's even pre, this, I mean, comics existed. What we call the golden age would have been, would have started with action number one, you know, the first Superman. Which is, what, like 70, he just had a 75th anniversary, like, sometime yeah. last year. So, yeah, you're looking 75 yeah. years ago. So, yeah. I mean... Uh, but but you know comics existed previous to that. That's just that that book signals what is considered the beginning of the golden age. There were horror comics, mystery comics, crime suspense stories, you name it. It, it was basically basically right now we're in another golden age, right? It's like basically you can go out and find a comic about anything you want to read. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, they. they uh, uh, because of this, this guy's book, Seduction of the Innocent, it says uh, this, there was a Senate subcommittee on juvenile delinquency held hearings in 1954, which focused specifically on comic books and had many publishers concerned about the government regulation prompting that, which prompted them to form a self-regulatory uh, self body instead of waiting for that to happen. Now, before the CCA was adopted, some cities had already organized public burnings and bans on comic books. The city councils of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and Houston, Texas passed ordinances banning crime and horror comics, although an attempt in Los Angeles County, California was deemed unconstitutional by the courts. Uh, it said, uh, let's see, um, like the previous code, the CCA prohibited the presentation of policemen, judges, government officials, and respected institutions in such a way as to create disrespect for the established authority. Uh, it added requirements that in every instance, good shall triumph over evil and discouraged inst instances of law enforcement officers dying as a result of criminals' activities and on and on and on. It said, uh, it, uh, depictions of excessive violence were forbidden as were lurid, unsavory, gruesome illustrations, vampires, werewolves, ghouls, and zombies for those Walking Dead fans out there. Uh, None of those could be portrayed in addition. Comics could not use the words horror or terror in their titles. 
the use of the word crime was subject to nor- numerous restrictions. The previous con- code had condemned the publication of sexy and wanton comics. The CCA was much more precise. Depictions of sexual perversion, sexual abnormalities, illicit sex relations, as well as seduction, rape, sadism, and masochism were specifically forbidden. Uh, in words echoing the Hollywood Production Code, love stories were, enjo- uh, were enjoined to emphasize the sanctity of marriage, and those portraying scenes of passion were advised to avoid stimulating the lower and baser emotions. And I actually have a, co- a copy of the code here. I'll, re- I'll, re- I'll read the, co- the actual code in a, in a few minutes when I get to that. Uh, says, uh, let's see, in his uh, introduction to uh, the Archie Americana, uh, Archie Americana series of Best uh, best of the 50s, editor Victor Gorlick reminisced about the code writing, my first assignment as a new art assistant was to remove cleavages and lift up low-cut blouses on Katie Keene. Uh, he also wrote that uh, Archie artist Harry Lucy that uh, uh, he also wrote of Archie artist Harry Lucy that his sometimes suggestive storytelling and he was one of the best almost cost him his job. When his penciled stories came in, the characters were dressed only on one, uh, on the first page. The inker, a woman by the name of Terry Zenix, would have to clothe them on the remaining pages, which I thought was funny. Uh, the CCA had no official control over publishers, but most distributors refused to carry their comics, uh, r- refused to carry comics that did not carry the seals. So there's how there's how it controlled what came out. <coughs> because if they if they if they uh, distributed a comic that was not approved into an area where there was laws against that, they could be fined. So they wouldn't do it. Uh, Dell Comics and Gold Key Comics did not display the seal, and their comics continued to be widely available, but those, almost all of those comics were uh, licensed from television shows, based on children's stories. You know, the, uh, if you go back and look at the, the, uh, the old uh, uh, illustrated tales, all of that stuff, all those, all those are Dell, Dells and Gold Keys. Now, let's go to the, how they enforced it. Some publishers thrived under these restrictions, while others adapted, to cance, uh, adapted by canceling titles and focusing on code-approved content. Others went out of business. In practice, the negative effect for not having a CCA approval was a lack of distribution from comic book wholesalers, who, as one historian observed, served as the enforcement arms of the Comics Code Authority, agreeing to handle only those comics with the seal. Publisher William Gaines, who was the, the he was the head publisher of EC Comics, believed that the clauses forbidding the words crime, horror, and terror in comic book titles had been deliberately aimed at his own best-selling titles, crime suspense stories, The Vault of Horror, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, these restrictions, as well as those banning vampires, werewolves, and zombies, helped make EC Comics unprofitable. All of its titles, except for Mab, were canceled in the year following the CCA's introduction. And the attempts by EC to launch code-friendly replacement titles were unsuccessful. Matt itself survived merely because Gaines had converted the publication to a magazine format which, to which the code did not apply. Wortham dismissed the code as an inadequate half-measure. Half Comics analyst Scott McLeod, on the, on the other hand, later commented that, that it was as if, in drawing up the code, the list of requirements of a film needed to receive a G rating was doubled, and then there were no other acceptable ratings besides that. Now, here's some highlights of the crap that they used to pull. Uh, one early con- uh, confrontation between comic book publisher, uh, pu- uh, between a comic book publisher and code authorities, EC Comics' William Gaines, reprinted the story Judgment Day from the pre-code Weird Fantasy Number 18, which was from April of 1953, and Incredible Science Fiction Number 33, which was in February of 1956. The reprint was a replacement for a code-disapproved story in Eye for an Eye drawn by Angela Torres, Torres, but was also itself objected to because the central because of the central character being a black man. I'll let that sink in for just a second. <laughs> the story by writer Al F- uh, Feldstein and artist Joe Orlando was a strong or- allegory of the evils of race prejudice. Which point was necessarily nullified if the lead character was not black? See what I'm saying? So following order, uh, following an order by Code Administrator Judge Charles Murphy to change the final panel, which depicted a black astronaut, 
Gaines engaged in a heated dispute with Murphy. He informed Murphy that if they did not give the issue the code seal, he would see to it that the world would find out why, causing Murphy to reverse his initial decision and allow the story to run. Soon after, however, facing the, facing the severe restrictions placed upon his comics by the CCA, and with his new direction titles foundering, Gaines quit the comic book publishing and concentrated on, only on Mad Magazine. Uh, here's a good one, too. Uh, you're familiar with Marv Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Marv Wolfman is one of the great horror comics writers in in, in the history of comics. Uh, writer Marv Wolfman's name, Marv Wolfman's name, was briefly the point of contention between DC Comics and the CCA. In the Supernatural Mystery Anthology House of Secrets '83 from January 1970, the books uh, the book's host introduces the story, the stuff that dreams are made of, as one told to him by a wandering Wolfman. Now, all capitals, uh, comic, all capitals comics lettering made no distinction between Wolfman and Wolfman. So they didn't capitalize the man's name. So when it, when the story was read, it just said Wolfman as a verse to Wolfman. Okay, I got you. See what I'm saying? CCA rejected the story and flagged the Wolfman reference as a violation. <laughs> Fellow writer Jerry Conway explained to the CCA that the story's author was in fact named Wolfman and asked whether or not it would still be a violation if that were clearly stated. The CCA agreed to that, so Wolfman received writer's credit on the first page of the story, which led to DC beginning to credit creators in all of its supernatural mystery anthologies. Next one, next story. The code was re- revised a number of times during 1971, initially on January 28, 1971, to allow for other things the sometimes sympathetic depiction of criminal behavior and corruption among public officials, as long as it were portrayed as exceptional and the culprit was punished, as well as permitting some criminal activities to kill law enforcement officers and the suggestion, and the suggestion but not the portrayal of seduction. Also newly allowed were vampires, ghouls, and werewolves when handled in the classic tradition such as Frankenstein, Dracula, and other high-caliber literary works from uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Saki, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and other respected authors whose works were read in schools around the world. Zombies lacking the prerequisite literary background remain taboo. Marvel in the mid-1970s, I didn't, I didn't even know this. I kind of want to go back and see if I can find some of these. Marvel in the mid-1970s called the apparently deceased mind-controlled followers of various Haitian supervillains Zuvimbis. <laughs> the practice carried over to Marvel's superhero line in the Avengers when the reanimated superhero Wonder Man returned from the dead. He was also referred to as a Zuvimbi. Around this, around this time, the United States Department of Health, Education, and Welfare approached Marvel Comics editor Editors, uh, editor-in-chief Stan Lee to do a story about drug, uh, drug abuse. Lee agreed and wrote a three-part Spider-Man story portraying drug abuse as dangerous and unglamorous. While the code did not specifically for, forbid depi- uh, depictions of drugs, a general clause prohibited all elements or techniques not specifically mentioned, in her- uh, mentioned herein, but which are contrary to the spirit and intent of the code are considered violations of good taste or decency. So that opens it up to everything. Like they could just basically be like, "I don't like that. Take it out," and they would do that. I, you know, this is just the stuff that I got off Wikipedia. If you go in and start reading stories about what what some of these people run into, because they had to they had to pre submit every issue of every comic for approval to get the CCA approval. If the if the person that was approving the book looked at it, it's like, "I don't like this particular panel of this particular page." They sent it back, and they had to reprint it with new art. What about like the issues were like you you know speedy? There's like that classic. I'm, where he's, I'm getting to okay. that. Okay, yeah, I'm getting to that. That's where that's where this is going. So I was about to say, I wonder if that got approved. Previous to this, the CCA had approved exactly uh, only one previous story involving drugs: the premiere of Dead Man and Strange Adventures 205 from October, October of 1967, which clearly depicted the title character fighting opium smugglers. Code Administrator Leonard Darwin was ill at the time of the Spider-Man story, but Acting Administrator John L. Goldwater who was the publisher of Archie Comics, refused to grant code approval based on the depiction of narcotics being used, regardless of the context, of the context whereas the Dead Man story had depicted only a wholesale business transaction. Now, this is where you start finding out. This is, in my opinion, this is, this is where Stan the Man Lee earned his nickname. 
The confident that the original government request would give him credibility, and with the approval of his publisher, Martin Goldman, Lee read the stories in The Amazing Spider-Man 96, 97, and 98, May through July of 1971, without CCA approval. Printed and released. <coughs> the storyline was well received, and the CCA's argument for de- denying approval was uh, deemed counterproductive. That was the only big issue we had with the code Lee recalled in the 1988 interview. I could understand them. Uh, being, uh, being that they were like lawyers and people who take things literally and technically. The code mentioned that you mustn't mention drugs, and according to their rules, they were right. So I didn't even get mad at them. I just said, screw it, and just took the code seal off the three issues. That's why I think he's awesome, you know? That's definitely a ballsy move. So. Yeah, because they could have been fine for that. Yeah. It, it could have hurt Marvel badly, you know? Uh he said, then we went back to the code again, and I never thought about the code while I was writing a story because basically I never wanted to do anything that was, to my mind, too violent or too sexy. I was aware that young people were reading these books, and, and had there not been a code, I don't think that would that I would have done my stories any differently. So Lee and Marvel drew criticism from uh, the DC Comics head Carmine Infantino for defying the code and stating that DC will not do any drug stories unless the code is changed. As a result of the publicity surrounding... Uh, the Department of Health uh, sanctioned the storyline. However, the CCA revised the code to permit the depiction of narcotics and drug addiction if it was presented as a vicious habit. DC itself broached the topic in the code-approved Green Lantern Green Arrow number 85 from September 1979 with Denny, writer Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, legendary comic book creators, beginning the story arc involving Green Arrow's teen sidekick, uh, uh, <coughs> Green Arrow's teen sidekick Speedy, Arsenal from Arrow, if you people are wondering, was Speedy in the comics. Uh, as a heroin addict, the cover line read, DC attacks you's greatest problems, drugs. Now, what I'm getting at here, from the uh, 1980s to the 2000s, by the 80s, the greater depiction of violence had become acceptable. Uh, Elvira's House of Mystery number 2 contained numerous deca- uh, decapitations, but was still code-approved. The following issue forwent the code entirely and contained uh, references to masturbation, but the code seal was reinstated on issue uh, issue number four. Uh, later adopters of the code were now comics, which be- uh, began displaying the code seal on titles releasing in the spring of 1989. Bongo Comics, which produced The Simpsons, had this seal on it. The, the CCA approval seal. So all of their stuff had to follow these ridiculous guidelines, and you would not believe some of these guidelines. Like, it's... Re- I, I don't see how there were comics. I don't. I just don't, man. It's like I was really shocked because I mean I knew that the I knew that the guidelines were there, but I never knew what they were until I read this stuff. Uh, periodic revisions were made to the code uh, to reflect changing t- attitudes about appropriate subject matter. E.g., the ban on referring referring to homosexuality was revised in 1989 to allow non stereotypical depictions of gays and lesbians. Uh, but its re- reference on the medium continued to wane, blah, 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 blah. <coughs> uh, the abandonment of the CCA did not happen until 2011, which surprised me. I thought it was way before that. Yeah. Uh, it says in the 2000s, the advertisers no longer made decisions to advertise based on the appearances of the stamp. Uh, because it, it also the, the code also restricted advertising in the comics. So only certain things could be advertised. By the 2000s, blah, 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 new, new publishers emerged during this time, none of none of whom uh, opted to join the CCA, regardless of whether or not their conf- uh, content confirmed to its standards or not. DC Comics, Marvel Comics, and other CCA po- uh, publishers began to, uh, publishing comics intended for adult audiences without the CCA seal, one of which was The Killing Joke. Uh, and comics labeled for mature readers under imprints such as DC's Vertigo and Marvel's Epic Comics were not submitted to the CCA for approval, period. In the 1990s, Milestone Media published DC's submitted all of its books to the CCA, but published them regardless of the ruling, placing the seal only on the issues that uh, received code approval. Marvel Comics uh, in 2001 withdrew from the CCA in favor of its own rating system designating appropriate age groups. In 2010, Bongo Comics discontinued the use of the code without any announcements regarding its abandonment. No one noticed for over 10 months. Uh, 
The CMAA, at some point in the 2000s, was managed by the trade organization management firm, The Kellen Company, which ceased its involvement in 2009 and 2010. Some publishers, including Archie, placed the seal on its comics without submitting them to the CMAA. Archie Comics President Mike Pellerito stated that the code did not affect his company the way it did others uh, and was quoted as saying, we aren't about to start stuffing bodies in refrigerators. That was a reference to a DC comic. In one of the early appearances of Kyle Rayner after he became uh, Green, the, the fourth human Green Lantern, one of the villains finds out who he is, sneaks into his house, murders his girlfriend, and shoves her, stuffs her in a refrigerator. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Stuffs her in a refrigerator and leaves a note hanging on the door for him. Hope you enjoy, your, uh, hope you enjoy the leftovers I left in the fridge. Mark, major force. <laughs> But uh, it says in January 2011, DC Comics announced that it would discontinue participa- uh, participation on adopting a rating system similar to Marvel's. The company noted that it submitted comics for approval through December of 2010, but not uh, would not say to whom they were submitted. A day later, Archie Comics, the only other publisher still uh, participating in the code, announced it was discontinuing it, rendering the code defunct. So 2010-2011 was the last time the, this, uh, the CCA was in effect. But up to that, it was ridiculous the kind of crap that they would have to go through to get a comic book put out. You know? It, but the thing was, it's like you read through the, 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 especially the original code, which I've got here, uh, and you, like when I'm reading through these, if you read comics, think about the comics you read and then think how many you're not you would not be able to read if this thing were still enforced. Uh, rule number one: Crimes shall not be presented in such a way as to create uh, create, uh, create sympathy for the criminal, to promote distrust of forces of law and justice, or to inspire others to uh, with a desire to uh, <coughs> imitate criminals. So nothing involving a supervillain story would ever happen. If a crime is depicted, it shall be as sordid and un- uh, it shall be as a sordid and unpleasant activity. Policemen, judges, government officials, and respected authority institutions will never be presented in such a way as to create disrespect for established authority. Criminals shall not be presented as, as uh, so as to be rendered glamorous or to occupy a position which creates a desire for emulation. Now, I found that to be interesting because somehow the kingpin was in Marvel Comics all those years running a criminal empire and never saw jail yeah. time. Yet somehow that got by the Comics Code Authority. Somehow no one ever noticed that. Kingpin from Daredevil. You know. Uh, it says, uh, In every instance, good shall triumph over evil, and the criminal shall be punished for his misdeeds. Scenes of excessive violence shall be prohibited. Scenes of brutal torture, excessive and unnecessary to knife and gunplay, physical agony, gory or gruesome crime shall be eliminated. That cuts out half the comics I read. Yeah. No comic magazine shall use the words horror or terror in its title. All scenes of horror, excessive bloodshed, gory or gruesome crimes, depravity, lust, sadism, masochism shall not be permitted. All lurid, unsavory, gruesome illustrations shall be eliminated. Inclusions of stories dealing with evil shall be uh, shall be used or shall be published only where the intent is to il- uh, illustrate the moral issue, and in no case shall evil be pre- presented alluringly so as to injure the insensibilities of the reader. Scenes dealing with or instruments associated with the Walking Dead, torture, vampires, vampirism, ghouls, cannibalism, werewolfism are prohibited. Profanity, obscenity, smut. Or words or symbols which have been which have acquired undesirable meanings are forbidden. Nudity in any form is prohibited, as is indecent or undue exposure. Suggestive or salacious uh, or salacious illustrations or suggestive posture is unacceptable. Now that is applicable to what we're talking about here, but it's stupid. There's no nudity in this cover. No. None. That's the thing. I mean, clothes are completely. She. I mean, she's, she's fully clothed. Yeah. She's completely covered. Females should be drawn realistically, without exaggeration, without exaggeration to any physical qualities, because all women look exactly alike, right? Mm-hmm. 
Illicit sexual relations are neither to be hinted at nor portrayed. Rape scenes as well as sexual abnormalities are unacceptable. Seduction and rape shall never be shown or suggested. Sex perversion or any inference to the same is strictly forbidden. Nudity and matricul- with matriculous purpose... Uh, Meritricious purpose. I don't even know what the hell that word means. Somebody somebody look up meritricious and send me an email and tell me what the hell that means. Uh, nudity with meritricious purpose and salacious posture shall not be permitted in the advertising of any product. Clothed figures shall never be presented in such a way as to be offensive or contrary to good taste or morals. So that's the code right there. Now, let's see. Oh, that was not working. I messed up my follow papers here. Now, here's here was something that I found interesting because down at the very bottom of this article, it says that the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, just a couple of years ago, purchased the rights to the CCA logo. And I was like, Are they trying to bring it back or something? I was concerned about that, and it didn't seem right because the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund is who is who would uh, would defend these people when they were when you know when they were when they were brought up on whatever fines yeah. were issued or whatever for whatever they did you know that's that's what this is like you know if if a comic book creator has legal trouble because of his book these are the people that defend him yeah. so why the hell would they be doing that so I did a little research on that too says the comic book legal uh, found this release. The Comic Book Legal Defense Fund today announces that it has received the intellectual property rights to the Comic Co- Comics Code Authority seal of approval, which I will be posting on our Facebook later so everybody can, can see what a swastika looks like when it's hidden in freedom. Uh, basically, all right, so it says... Uh, so in an assignment from the now-defunct Comics Magazine Association of America, the CMAA, which administrated the code since the 1950s, the Comics Code seal comes to the, CBL, uh, uh, the CBLDF during Banned Books Week, a national celebration of the freedom to read and just a few months following a decision by the U.S. Supreme Court where Justice, Sc- Justice Scalia cited the C- uh, Comic Book Legal Defense Fund's brief, brief addressing the comics industry's history of government scru- scrutiny and the, sub- uh, subsequ- uh, <clears throat> the subsequent self-regulation of the comics code represented by Dr. Amy Nyberg, author of The Seal of Approval. The history of the Comics Code has prepared a short history of the Comics Code seal and the area of censorship it represents exclusively for the CBLDF is that is available now in the resources section of cblf.org, which I'll put up a link to later if you want to read this crap. Uh, but here, here is the most important part. It says, as we reflect on the challenges fla- uh, facing uh, intellectual freedom during Banned Books Week, the Comics Code seal is a reminder that it is possible for an entire creative field to have those rights curtailed because of government, public, and market pressures. Fortunately, today's comics are no longer constrained as they were in the days of the code, but that's not something we can take for granted. Bam Books Week reminds us of the challenges uh, uh, that the challenges to free, free speech still occur, and we must always be vigilant in fighting them. The CBLDF will, t- be t- uh, will take over licensing of products bearing the Comics Code seal, including T-shirts, Providing the modest source of income for the uh, comic for the organization's First Amendment legal work, Graffiti Designs is currently offering T-shirts with the with the code seal to benefit CBLDF, which I'm going to buy one because that's a good cause. Down with censorship because that's all this thing was. It was you know, 60 years of censorship, and it's only been over for a couple of years, and now. All, all we're hearing is let's drop the band hammer on every friggin' cover that comes out because it, it, it offends someone's delicate sensibilities. Grow up. Seriously. I remember this crap. I, I mean, that's why there was nothing but superhero comics for, forever. They couldn't print anything else. And that's the one part of like... And this is, this is the response of a Senate Judiciary Committee. This is what, this is what the outcome was. Censorship in America. But it didn't affect newspapers, so nobody cared. It was just comic books. Uh, anyway, the Brownstein added that it was a progressive change that, to the, uh, that the Comics Code seal, which, which is yesterday's symbol of comic censorship, will now be used to raise money to protect the First Amendment challenges comics face in the future. Now I'd like to go back to that Wortham asshole. <laughs> the guy that wrote the book. Now, this guy, 
And when I say wrote the book, I mean he literally wrote the book. Seduction of the Innocent is what it was called. Uh, he was a psychiatrist, uh, and he wrote, writes the writes this book. Shows up for these uh, Senate hearings, goes in, says, you know, comic books are destroying our youth. They're turning it, you know, they're turning our kids into criminals, turning them to prostitution. Just basically blame comic books for everything. So that was that was how this Comics Code Authority became to be based based off this man's testimony. And a few, there were other people that testified, but this guy's testimony was the damning testimony. He was the expert witness as a psychiatrist. A few years later, goes gunning for television. Television's rotting our kids' brains. Every argument that you've heard that says if people play uh, violent video games, they, they, they turn violent, which is a lie. Yeah. All of this is based on what this man did in his life. The man dies in 1981, Frederick Wortham. In 2010, all of his research materials for Seduction of the Innocent, the original book that he wrote, also all of every, for every book that he wrote following that, the one that got for the television and every other thing that he went after, were turned over uh, to... They were turned over to... Uh, Carol Tilly, assistant professor at the Graduate School of Library and Information Science at the University of Illinois, who investigated his research and found his conclusions to be largely baseless. Hmm. Wortham uh, is quoted as having said Wortham manipulated, overstated, compromised, and fabricated evidence, especially the evidence that he attributed to personal clinical research with young people for rhetorical gain. So he lied. His entire career was about rhetorical gain. And people are still having to deal with this asshole's lies. So I just I feel like everybody needs to remember the CCA and go learn about that before they start screaming, we need to ban this cover or that cover or this story or oh my god, that offends me. You know, that's okay. You're allowed to be offended. I'm glad you have an opinion. You have the freedom to have an opinion, but comic book creators do not always have the freedom to do what they do. And I'm done. I'm done bitching now. I'm sorry. No. I mean, I, I that's think that's... probably more than I've spoken all week. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing about artists is, you know, they should be able... I mean, this is 2015. I mean, they should have always had the right to do whatever they want. I mean, right. you know, that is that is their creative. You know, that's their creativity, it, which I'm anti-censorship on everything, whether 100%. it's music, television. I mean, you know, I think... You know, you know, you just put a warning on any TV show that tells you, "Hey, this has nudity or this has language," and then you know, you have the freedom to turn yeah, it off and exactly. not watch it. Now you have the freedom to not buy that comic book exactly. if you think it might offend you or if it does offend you. Don't don't try to don't try to to say, "Well, we just can't have that." Yeah, that's horseshit. So you know, that's that's my thing about the about. Uh, it's all of it, man. It's not just the thing with Frank Cho and Robbie Rodriguez. It's the Milo Minara cover and the Batgirl cover. It's just, it's bullshit. Oh, yeah. Stop taking away someone else's freedom, especially when you're talking about people that just got their freedoms really back about three years ago. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I kind of wish Steve was here because he would have been good, you know, yeah. I, you know, you didn't even really know I was going to do this. So. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know that this was coming, so. I should start giving you warning. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, it's just, it, 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 it's ridiculous to me that, 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 I, that I keep hearing this stuff over and over and over again. And there are so many people out there that never even knew what that thing was, what it meant. I mean, I I knew that it was I knew that it was a degree of censorship, yeah. but I didn't know it went as deep as it yeah, did. Yeah, I didn't know it was. That I even went, I even went back and read the revised versions of the rules from 1971 and 1989, and they didn't they only revised them to allow certain things. They didn't take away any of those rules ever, you know. And and if it weren't for people like Denny O'Neill and Stan Lee saying, you know, kind of fuck you, we're gonna we're gonna do it anyway, you know that. We wouldn't have the comics that we've got now. There wouldn't be any Walking Dead. There wouldn't be any Cross. There wouldn't be there wouldn't be anything that we like. No. You know, the, all the all these great books that are out right now would not exist if this were the defining the, the, yeah. the defining authority. You know, they'd be like, no, 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 you don't yeah. need to do that. That's true. So, 
but I didn't get a voice the last time that shit went into effect, but I can keep it from going back. So this is my voice. I've got a podcast. You get to listen to me, bitch. <laughs> well, that's the whole point of this, you know, so. All right, you got plans in a little bit, man. We need to we need to wrap this up. Uh, so anyway, yeah, guys, thanks for listening. Wait, we didn't even do our picks of the week. Oh, we didn't. Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's cool. Um, do you want me to go first? Do you want to go first? I've talked enough for the last few minutes, so you can go ahead and talk for a minute. <laughs> I, uh, the way I, I do my picks of the week is when I read my polls, the books that really grab my attention, I write down. And I come in here every week, and I might have, like, it's usually three or four. This week, there was, like, ten on my list of, like, these are potential my picks of the week. And I was like, man, I'm not going to know what it is until we get down here and start doing the show. So I've decided that I don't have a pick of the week, and I'm, I was torn between three books. So I was like, and I, I, I can't pick. So take this how, how you know as you will. Uh, Save your number one, which is a new uh, McFarland did the story. Uh, art's fantastic. I don't want to go too much into the story, other than that there's this accident that happens, and this miracle guy who happens to be there and saves some people. And then there's like a big flash forward and you kind of see some stuff that happens six months later with this guy. There's people that like think he's a god. There's people that think he's a fraud. Uh, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to spoil anything, but the art is fantastic. Oh yeah, Clayton Crane. And I was completely blown away by this issue. Another, I guess, honorable mention slash pick of the week, Descender 2. It picked her straight up uh, with 1021. Beautiful art. It's Jeff Lemire. If you haven't read it, the the first issue, the second printing of issue one just came out this week. Yeah, you made a new character here named Driller, who reminds me of the character Bobby from Sweet Tooth, which is like this really kind of slow, like mental. Uh, and Driller is a robot, and just the way he talks, I was like, man, this guy's gonna be dear to my heart. I don't want anything bad to happen to Driller. So we'll see what this holds up. And uh, Walking Dead one forty. I don't know if I should do a spoiler. I'm not going to spoil it. Anyway, someone huge comes back. One of my favorite characters ever in the Walking Dead universe returned. And uh, I won't tell you who it is other than his sweet one-liner. Let's hold the fucking phone. And that's how the issue ends. Uh, <laughs> so someone came back, and all hell is going to break loose, I think. Okay. So those are my three issues. And I, like I said, I, I couldn't pick. I really couldn't pick between one. Um all right. It's cool, man. Yeah. You know, it's like we, we've gotten to where we always have the, the, the there's so many good books. That's the out, thing. Uh, and I mean, you know, like Jupiter Circle came out. I think it was a fantastic book. It didn't blow me away like most Miller's, because, you know, he usually hits the ground running with his yeah. first issues. Jupiter's Legacy blew my mind, first issue. You know, specifically, I'm glad you brought that book up because under the Comics Code Authority, there's a book that never yeah. would have seen the light of day. And, you know, ever. Any of Miller's stuff. I mean, oh, there's yeah, language. Right. And if there's not language, there's blood. Uh, I mean, the entire villain, yeah, or the entire series is about villains. Yeah. Uh, I mean, think know. about it: Kickass wouldn't be here, Nemesis wouldn't be here, yeah. Superior, Superior. Like a language wouldn't be here, Wanted wouldn't be here. I mean, the, this guy. I mean, Old Man Logan wouldn't exist, which is a Marvel book. Oh, I mean, yeah. this guy's yeah, career. Especially if you look at, at yeah. his work. Like, I mean, this guy's career. This guy's career. I mean, he would not have been. Uh, you know, it's almost. You know, if you look at some of his stuff, it's all. It's almost like he's got a list of the rules hanging on his wall. It's like, well, I'm going to break that one in this one in this issue, and I'm going to break those two in this issue, and uh, in Jupiter Circle, I'm going to break this whole section. And you know, right Chrononauts now. is the only one that is like. I don't think there was any language. There was a little bit, I think. There may have been a little. It's definitely toned down. I I mean, no, I'm I'm just saying it's it's definitely cool time travel. Oh yeah, and it's probably his most. It's definitely his most tame book that I can think of. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, his career had he had to go by these rules, Mark Miller. Yeah, there would not be here. And there is what ten years now of amazing stories that he's been telling or however long he's been around. So you know, and uh, it's just uh, I I was really when I was when I was putting this little. tablet stuff together earlier when I was reading through the rules I was like I was just thinking about it's like I, I wouldn't have anything I wouldn't have any I wouldn't be collecting comics if if suddenly we had to start going by these guidelines there would be no comic books comic books that I read even a good deal of the Marvel yeah. and DC superhero stuff at this point yeah. wouldn't even be applicable here you know all right so those are your picks yeah uh 
That's cool. My pick of the week this week is Rebels number one, which is a Dark Horse book. That was a great book, man. Uh, and I, I, it really kind of flew in under the radar for me. It's a different kind of story from what I usually read. Uh, I'm not sure whether or not it's historically accurate, uh, but I have a friend who is a, a history buff who has read it, and he's he's checking into some stuff. There was a. I'm curious. I'm, did yeah. you read that disclaimer on the very? No. I don't okay. Know. There's a disclaimer there. Okay, I overlooked that then. And but, he says but, that uh, you know there may there was people that may not been in the place at the time, and there's some things that may not be historical. Well, that's accurate. artistic but, but that's what he claims. He's like, yes. you know, the writer takes all responsibilities for this book. I think it's just one of those things where it's like. I'm going to take some stuff and just have fun with history and keep it, I mean, you know, fairly close. But It's, it's a good story, man. And what the story is, is it's, it's set uh, immediately before, I guess, immediately before the onset of the Civil War. It's the story of uh, America's first militia in New Hampshire. Uh, the way the story opens up where it was talking about, you know, where it's the main guy as a child and is talking about his dad never said more than two words <laughs> yeah. to him until the day he told him to kill a man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, that sold me on yeah. the book. And you get that—that that was three, like you know, three pages into the book. I was like, I can get. The and you get that—that that was like that one moment where, in his mind, it was like that his dad pretty much told him that he loved him. You know, because yeah. the whole time his dad was like, "Are you done yet?" Like it was just very one little like, yeah. sentence. Thanks to him his entire life. So, yeah, great book, man. And I think it's a six-part miniseries. Six Is that what it's all going to be? First issue hit this week. Still sitting on the stands, and I, I think I think that it's it's like I said, totally under the radar for a lot of people. If you're a history buff, buff you're probably going to love it, especially if you're a Civil War buff. I'm not, but this is a good read. It's a good read, regardless. Whatever, whatever, whatever kind of book you're into, this is a good solid read. I yes. think. And and hats off to, to Dark Horse for doing that one. So uh, I guess that brings us to the end of the episode. Well, we survived without Steve. We uh, did. Still, no word from the guy. Still, still haven't heard from Steve. Uh, if anybody sees Steve walking <laughs> down the road, um, we may have to put him out on the. Uh, I don't know if we should put him out on the back of milk boxes, like, like milk uh, milk jugs. Uh, if he's not here bottle. next week, we will think I'll about it. I'll fucking guarantee if we put his picture on liquor bottle, somebody will find him. Well, <laughs> if he's not here next week, then maybe we'll go to you know that far. But uh, who knows, man? I guess you know Steve. Steve, if you can hear us, please let us know if you're okay. Yep. Send up smoke signals, light fire, telephone us, that'll work too, uh, any of that. But anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Especially love all of you fan things out there. Oh, yeah. See you next take, week. Take it easy, guys.